Welcome to A Photographer's Life. The channel that takes you behind the curtain into the world of professional architectural photography. Join us now for another episode with one of America's premier architectural photographers. Today's broadcast comes from a recent interview with award-winning American architectural photographer and writer, Karen Davis. Today's interview was conducted by AIAP director Alan Blakely. We hope you enjoy the show. If you do, please let us know by liking this episode and subscribing to this channel. Now, on with the show. Today we're talking with Karen Davis, and she is one of our top-tier photographers and a well-known photographer throughout the U.S. And and good morning, Karen. We're grateful to have you with us, and thank you for taking the time. Thank you for having me, Alan. Um, To start out with, I just wanted to uh, maybe have have you give us a little bit of a, a background about where did this all start, and how did you how did you make your entry into photography? Um, well, I worked in television. I had a whole other career in television and documentary television for about twenty years. But I always wanted to be a photographer, and okay. I loved to travel. So, in, I was a producer, a writer, a camera person in uh, documentary television, and worked in New York. But then I decided in my mid thirties I wanted to change careers to photography. But I also wanted to travel, so okay. I uh, took an overseas job um, on um, literally a flying eye hospital. I worked for a humanitarian organization called mm-hmm. Orbis International, and they had a DC-10 airplane that had been converted into a hospital, and there was a television studio on the airplane where they broadcast the surgery live from one end of the plane to the other mm-hmm. uh, so that the doctors in the third world countries we were visiting could sit in the first class section and watch the surgery live and learn and listen. We'd leave the teaching tapes. So on the weekends, I would travel the countries I was in creating a portfolio thinking I'm going to work for National Geographic. Right, right sure. And, and then when I came back, well, of course that didn't happen. Um, and I started teaching myself the business of photography by reading a lot on the internet and then filling in the gaps in my learning, the technical aspects by taking one-week workshops at Maine Photographic, Santa Fe, Palm Beach, um, okay. and those places till. I had enough of a skill set, but the architecture came later. And again, that was still through my love of traveling. So then when I would travel more on my own, um, I would find myself taking photographs of buildings all the time. And people would say to me, you need to take pictures of people, you know, and I'm like, well, I don't know, because I love architecture. Um, I love how it informs us in so many ways. Like, you know, if you visit Barcelona, we have Gaudi. So he's created a whole culture and a city based on his designs, or you go into a coffee shop and the architecture is, it could be a funky vibe and that creates another element. So it has history, it has art, artistry, you know, it has all of the elements that I like. And it's fascinating to me, especially, um, I've grown to really love more modern architecture of late, but I really love history. Mm -hmm. So I am attracted to the old buildings and who the stories who lived there, how did they build these things like Venice, you know, all, all yeah. of that stuff. So that's how it happened. And I just kept taking pictures and 
had a portfolio of buildings. You know, that's a pretty common entry for a lot of people that, that I've talked to. Um, they find themselves photographing buildings because that's what interests them, like you, mm -hmm. like you said there. And then they decide that they can make a living at it. At what point did you decide that you were going to concentrate on architecture? And mm -hmm. now I know you do travel photography as well. Right. And, you, and you've got books published and that sort of thing. We'll get into that later. But um, at what point did you consider yourself an architectural photographer? About how many years yeah. did that take to that? to get to that point? I think I'm still at that. <laughs> you know, I, uh, just this past summer, I don't know if you know who Scott Francis is. I do. Yes. He gave me a portfolio review. It was all through happenstance and it was very, very valuable to me. Okay. And, um, so I would say now I'm becoming an architectural <laughs> photographer after his critique, which was brutal, but mm. so honest and helpful. Um, I'm still learning all the time. And what I'm really trying to do is constantly downsize my lighting, you know, carrying okay. all the lights on, on, on location and working on Photoshop because I really like to shoot with natural light, but you absolutely have to light at times. So I feel like I'm always learning and evolving. And this past winter, I spent some time, uh, watching Mike Kelly. He's a architectural photographer out of LA. He's got a great series of videos yeah. and, um, you know, I picked up some new processing techniques in Photoshop, still okay. trying to work out luminosity masks. They just elude me, but <laughs> uh, you know, it's, you it's, are. <laughs> yeah. It's, and I keep trying and I'm like following along exactly, but yeah. Um, I'm, I'm, I'm always learning. And that's one thing I like about it because it's a very challenging field technically uh artistically and um mechanically too i think that's a good point to make and i think that's something that people not in the field don't necessarily understand is how technically difficult it is uh, to get the kind of images that you get um, those don't come right out of the camera <laughs> and uh, you talked about lighting your stuff does not look lit i mean it doesn't have that 70s or 80s look that we used to think of as when, when the lighting would be created by the photographer not trying to capture the lighting that was in the space uh, but you you're using lighting to control the scene i mean what you can actually capture on your camera it sounds like and uh the fact that you're continuing to evolve your process i think is interesting because i don't know anybody working at the level that you work at that isn't doing that. And I think that would come also as a surprise to people is that you don't get to a point where you're, you've got it all figured out necessarily. <laughs> There's always some new way to do things in some better way. Um, did you, were you a film shooter at any point or did yeah. you jump in? Okay. And it kills me because um, when I told you about that trip, I took, you know, with Orbis yeah. and I, went to like 11 third world countries all of that is on film okay yeah in cuba <laughs> and uh oh wow yeah amazing and um right after that i transitioned into digital so i i just have those negatives sitting in one of these days i hope i can do something with them well um i can recommend a good scanner <laughs> oh. <laughs> if you're interested. all right um, 
Yeah. Um, and that's a whole different world. <laughs> so when you start, start down that rabbit hole, as far as scanning and mm-hmm. learning those techniques, when you jumped into digital, um, were you in a 35 millimeter format? Um, yeah. Okay. And, um, what about lens choices? Do you, do you have lenses that are your go-to lenses that you like or? Well, I, for architecture, I use the 24 millimeter, uh, tilt shift lens and I add an extension onto it. So it oh. makes it like a 35 millimeter if I nice. need it. Yeah. Um, and then I have, um, I think it's my 70, sorry, 35 to 105. Okay. Yeah. And I do have the um, 70 to 200, but I rarely use it for architecture. Mm-hmm. Um, and I was trying to learn this, um, long exposure technique during COVID. So sometimes I use that lens a lot. Okay. Is, which is stacking filters, you know, making nine stop, 12 stops. And um, it's an interesting process. But um, yeah, those are the lenses I use. Okay. You, you, typically, we see people that are um, calling themselves architectural photographers and everything's shot with a 17 millimeter lens. Yeah. Um, yours doesn't have that look. And, no. uh, in fact, it has a longer than normal lens look in a lot of situations, which is, is really so refreshing. And I think, <clears throat> at least to me, kind of speaks to a, um, an elevated level of skill and, and also artistry that you see things in a way that, um, you, you know, it's taken some time to refine the way you see things and you're, you're based in Connecticut. Um, How wide ranging is your work these days? Well, um, I go statewide and I live kind of close to Rhode Island. So I do try to get down in that neck of the woods. So um, it hasn't really happened yet. (laughs) And then of course um, I get work overseas sometimes, but you know, I, I, I generate a lot of that on my own. Um, Mm -hmm because I'm also a writer. So I'm able to pitch complete stories. Okay. Um, and sometimes when I come back from traveling or sometimes when I'm there. Okay. Now, um, as far as your, your mix of, of clients, can you give us an idea of, of who you do business with and, and kind of what the mix is for you? It's mostly architects. Okay. Um, once in a while, it's a builder. Um, sometimes a company who fabricated um, a wall, let's say, in a school. I just had a job like that where they had fabricated a wall and they wanted me to take pictures of that. Sometimes they do that kind of stuff. Yeah. I did a senior center for a company recently or over COVID last year, I should say. But mostly it's architects and once in a while, it's interior designers. Um, and I, I branch out. I try. Oh, and also landscape designers. I get work. Oh, them. interesting. Yeah. And I am pushing that aspect because one of my, I just got commissioned to do a third book and that's on gardens. And oh, so um, I love photographing gardens because they're just beautiful. So I'm refining that skill set in my eye in that regard as well. That seems like a tough one. Um, I've done very little of that, but what I have done, it, it seems so tricky time of day wise. Well, you got to get up early. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> really early. But if you do, it's okay. You know, 
And uh, often, depending on the layout of the garden, you might have to go twice, you yeah. know, early morning and late day. But, you know, when I was, I started the project last late last summer after I got the contract and had to drive to Greenwich, Connecticut, which 95 is always so traffic ridden. Mm. So you have to factor that in. So I was leaving like at 3.30 in the morning <laughs> to meet the sun at 5.30 yeah. or 6. Yeah, that was a bit early yeah. That soft line. How do architects find you typically? Do you find them or do they find you? Well, a lot of them find me through your website. Okay. Or uh, ASMP or um, I'm really good in the Google searches. Oh, that's I meta tag all my images. And I just spent, again, you know, learning that recently again. Mm. what Google likes, how many characters, et cetera. So I spent some time on my website revising all my headings to do that. Um, and it's also word of mouth. Okay. I think the books have helped a lot because um, sure. people seem to recognize my name now. And I've done a lot of TV interviews. I've had a lot of stuff published about the books and magazines and newspapers within the state and did television mm. and radio. So, and the books are out there as well. Yes. So it's like brand recognition. That's um, huge. And I write articles, as I said, but I try not to think too much about all that stuff. You know, I'm grateful I can get paid to do what I love, really. That's neat. Um, how, how much how much writing are you doing? Is, is that a, a significant part of your work or does it contribute uh, to your photographiness? Um, sometimes I write articles that I don't photograph. Okay. And sometimes I do both. And, it, you know, like I just published a story literally yesterday on Costa Rica, unique places to stay for lonely planet. So those were none of my images, oh. but those were my um, words. Mm -hmm. And then I write for a local magazine every month called Ink Magazine. And that I generate my own story ideas, you know, um, rarely do assignments come to you, actually. You, mm -hmm. It's usually me pitching. You're pitching something. Yeah. Yeah, that makes sense. But it's not, um, depend, depending on the magazine, they, the writing pays better sometimes in the photography, but it's so laborious. It's It just takes a long time. So by the yeah. time you look at it hourly, you probably didn't do so well. <laughs> I, I think that's something that people think that's a romantic notion to, to be a writer. But yeah they don't understand just how much work that is and it is that it's really work <laughs> that you have to do. Um, that's amazing that you have that combination. Um, that's a pretty valuable skill set to have. Um, let, let's talk about um, your working relationship with clients. When you uh, have, a, when you get a new client, say somebody calls you and asks for you to photograph a project, or if you're interested in photographing, what what's your process from there? Can you kind of just take a step by step as to how you approach a new assignment? Well, it you know they want a quote usually, and yeah. they um, I you really have to dig to find out what they want because they're like, yeah, we need between ten to thirty images, and they're trying to make them understand. Okay, well. Um, that's a huge range and I need to get it down more. So I know how long it's going to take the day you're shooting and then in post-production. So I've kind of revised it now. I used to do 
charge um, hourly for posts. Now I charge per image because it's just so much easier also with the client mm-hmm. and the numbers are hard. You know, this is what it's going to be. You, okay. You want 30 images and this is what it's going to be. So um, in my bid is a, is a, it's, it's sort of like a contract at the same time. So it really lays out all the terms that they take the time to read it. It's very informative. Like mm-hmm. what, what is photo, you know, how is something photo ready and what happens if it isn't and schedule delays and all these different things. But I don't know that anyone actually reads it. But one thing that I do is um, to cover myself is I always have this thing, you know, by hiring Karen B. Davis photography means you agree to these terms. So whether they sign them or not, it's in there. And I have revised and refined this every time a client has not, um, you know, for lack of a better word, has not been above board and mm-hmm. what, you know, and you can't even, I know you all know this. You can't even anticipate all the things that no. you, they're shocking sometimes. So now it's all in there. And, but I, I like to, um, if they say, give me a call, I always call because Mm -hmm. I think personal is so much better. Um, and I recently did, I had a new client who was a landscape architect and this was a fluke, but they had a lot of bids that were very similar. The reason they went with me was they watched my interview, my TV interview about my book and they saw my personality and they thought I would fit in well with their office. Okay. So I think anytime you can get on the phone with someone, they can hear your voice. You can establish that. That's really good. I mm-hmm. do follow up. Um, a lot of people don't, but I do. Yeah. Um, and I think that helps as well. Yeah. I, I think that's huge. And I, um, a lot of times when I get an assignment and the client will tell me later, well, you're the only one who followed up with us. Mm. You're the only one who called back. And I find that just amazing that that people would just wait for the client to call them. So, well, I I also believe in um, correct spelling and punctuation. <laughs> you know, it's just like saying please and thank you, and it really, in my opinion, it makes a difference. You know, you want to present yourself as intelligent, and if you're already making mistakes in what you're writing, what kind of product mm-hmm. are you going to deliver? This is my philosophy, and. I always, I bend over backwards for my clients, you know, um, I don't know, some, some recognize it and appreciate it. Some are who they are too. (laughs) Well, uh, what you said about the seeing, you know, how you, how you fit with the company by talking with them on the phone, it, it, it probably also tells you whether this is somebody that you really want to work for or not. Yeah. Um, and do you ever pass on assignments? I don't know. Once in a while I have, you know, because the the saying that, you know, a good job gets better and a bad job gets worse, you know, and you you can tell um, there like currently there's this house I'm going to be photographing in April and it's stunning. And I would have left this a long time before, but I really want it in my portfolio. So, um, and, and the person I'm doing it for is, is challenging and not with it, let's say, in the way that they should be. Okay. But I finally did get my deposit out of them. So I'm like, okay. And they signed my contract. So there I am. Um, but um, 
Well, someone told me a long time ago about a pyramid, you know, a triangle. Mm -hmm. And one is the money, one is the portfolio, and one is the client. And if you have all Mm -hmm. three in a job, it's great, but you should certainly get two out of the three. You know, and if you are, and if you're only going to do it for one of those points, then you should be aware of why, you know, whether you're just doing it for the money or the portfolio or to gain the client. So I kind of look at that. I really like that. Yeah. As far as your, your billing and, and collecting and things, you mentioned a a deposit. Do you ask for a deposit uh, on all assignments? No. Because okay. I, I feel like um, it depends who it is. I can, you know, I'm a good judge of character. I've never mm-hmm. been screwed. Um, and, it de- you know, if they're not messing around from the beginning mm-hmm. and they're professional, then I usually don't. Okay. Um, but I may, I may now. Um, mm-hmm. One thing that drives me crazy, right? You know, I just did a story for a magazine, um, Images and Words. And I, one thing I, I just do not like chasing my money around. I'm like, I did the assignment. I submitted it on deadline. Now you just need to pay me period. I have no tolerance for that. Mm-hmm. So when you have half their money up front, I think it helps with that. Absolutely. And again, what you were, we talked about before everybody came on about being a woman. I don't know if this extends to men, but I feel, um, I, I don't, it seems like there's less regard <laughs> for my gender in that way, um, where they seem like they, they think they could take a little bit more advantage, but I know everyone has that same problem. I think it is. A, I think it is a problem in general, but you're not the first woman I've heard that from. So, yeah. um, especially in photography, um, in, in the last meeting, um, that's not yet online yet for the, for the group. Uh, we talked about business practices and that sort of thing. And um, one photographer from Chicago mentions that he requires them to um, set up an account with a credit card uh, at the outset. And that's how he's handling things. Mm-hmm. And that avoids all of those collection issues if that, right. if that card is on file. And that's been something that I've been thinking about. I don't typically have any collection issues. Um, and for those that I do, I don't work for them anymore. So. Right. Yeah. That, that would, you asked that question before, that would be something that would not, I would not take repeat business with if somebody was that delinquent. Yeah. Um, outside of architects and interior designers and magazines, are there any other, uh, client segments that represent a, a significant portion of your work? Sometimes builders, as I mentioned, okay. um, stonemasons, believe it or not. Oh, interesting. Um, kitchen designers. Mm-hmm. I do have a regular kitchen designer client. Um, okay. Just trying to think what else. Um, oh, and landscape designers, as I mentioned as well. Interesting. Uh, that That's kind of a broad base to have yeah. uh, okay. for a photographer. And that's, I think that helps those listening to this to maybe think outside of only working for architects or only working for interior designers. And it's, it's all design though. It is. Yeah. It really is. It is. Um, let me ask you, uh, getting back to your working process. I just want to, I'm curious when you're on set with, are you usually with a client or not? Um, how does that it, work for you? It really varies. Okay. Um, 
And I shoot to an iPad using Cam Ranger. So we're, okay. if I'm with the client, I'm showing them and getting pre-approval mm -hmm. on the angle. And I really love the iPad because, you know, you can see, I, I don't like tangents in my images mm -hmm. where things are going into something else and there's right. no break with the eye and negative space. So it's really, you can get in there really well yeah. and separate things. Um, so yeah, it's all a mix. I just photographed at this me. Oh, I worked for a lot of museums too. It seems. Oh, okay. Um, and I was at the Hillstead Museum. I think it was last week, and we were shooting in there and using the iPad. Mm. And it was really helpful to say, "Oh, can you move this a half an inch to the left?" Yeah. You know, um, in one of our previous meetings, we we found that most uh, photographers in and the AIP, that is the process that they use. In fact, the vast majority are using the Cam Ranger with an iPad, which mm -hmm. uh, was interesting to me. And I hope it's interesting to Cam Ranger as well. <laughs> but um, for me, I, that's, that's what I do. And what I like about it is being able to hand the iPad to the client and let them walk through the set and see what the camera sees. Mm -hmm. Because that's such a, for, for a lot of clients, that's so hard to visualize what the cameras actually see. Right. Um, like in this case, there was a, a cabinet with uh, china in it and lots of glare off the glass. Mm -hmm. So, we, you know, in, in the camera ranger, in the iPad, you can see it. And we know we have to block that. And so she hadn't noticed that with her own eye. Uh, but, um, you know, and they get into the process more and they really enjoy it. She loved being able to see everything this way and, you know, move everything. And I think that's really good. Yeah. I, I think they, if they feel a little bit more invested, then uh, things always work out for the best. That's, that's a great process. Uh, when you don't have a client there, do, I mean, you mentioned scouting and things like that. How, how much of your work do you actually scout ahead of time? Well, my clients don't always like to pay for the scout, mm -hmm. um, but I'm photographing this building um, and I it's nearby. So okay. I went and scouted it complimentary because I know they're a good client. It's a beautiful new building and I want mm -hmm. the job and um, I have the job, but I needed to see it. Yeah. And I used, I want to give a shout out to Sun Surveyor because it was the okay. first time I had it. And I never used it because I was using Light Tracker. And then I had to watch all the videos to learn it. And still something wasn't clicking for me. So I reached out to Adam who designed the app. And he was so helpful. He took photos in his house to send to me to help illustrate the answers to my questions better. Oh, wow. And I thought that was really amazing customer service. So I told him I would mention it. <laughs> well. Um, that is my go-to app for, um, trying to understand how to order my shots throughout the day yeah. and, and looking at projects that I can't scout, um, that that's the app that I use. Well, I, that, that's pretty much the only app that I use for that type of thing. And it's so, so nice to be able to have that confidence that you're going to be there at the right time and mm -hmm. that the lights going to be where it is. And, um, it's an amazing app. 
Yeah. That's often, you know, yeah, that, that's, that's wonderful. Mm -hmm. Yeah. I, I recommended that actually in the last meeting that we oh, had great. on Zoom because it's just such a valuable piece of equipment for me anyway. So, you know, even though it's an app, it's, it's, it's right up there with all the other things that I use. So let me, let me ask you about your deliverables. Uh, do you show clients previews uh, prior to taking things into post-production or do you edit that yourself and send them what's you know what's it really depends it depends on if they have to choose from you know if, if they we shot 20 and they they only commissioned 10 okay um and i you know that's really tricky because they don't always visualize it just going back for one second one of the reasons the uh, iPads so great is because they get to see how technically involved it is. And now, you know, you can't just go in with an iPhone and go click and there you are. Um, but people, you know, sometimes the client gets nervous. I had this client get really nervous looking at my raw files oh. because he couldn't visualize what it was going to be. So mm. I always have to put, you know, this has not been color corrected, straightened, you know, the highlights blown out, whatever shadows, blah, blah, blah. Um, so sometimes I show them that, but a lot of times I show them a near finished okay. image edited if like with the Hillstead, cause they only commissioned five and they approved as we went. Mm. Um, and then if they have any changes, I'll do it around of those and then give them a final. Okay. Um, and as far as your process goes or, are you bracketing and then blending images together? Is yeah, I bracket. Mm -hmm. And then um, I do everything manually. Um, mm -hmm. I don't use HDR, um, except I just, from watching one of your, um, one of these recently, mm -hmm. somebody yeah. mentioned the Easy HDR 3. Mm -hmm. So I, I've been looking into that, but um, I usually do manual compositing and then masking. And when I, I light paint, so I'll hit oh, okay. just different parts mm -hmm. and then I'll bring that in as well. Um, so I like to do uh, a bracket with lights on, with lights off, and then light painting and then use all different parts. Okay. And I really don't like shooting with lights at all on, oh. you know, um, but a lot of times... You know, I have one client, he's an architect and he loves the lights because I find like they just make a mess on the wall. If you, you know, they get really blown out. The highlights, what the eye sees is very different than what the oh. camera sees. And um, I just like it better without it. So, but I have to do what they say. I can relate to that. Yeah. Um, I find that if, if, you know, I shoot for some lighting companies and I find that um, sometimes they'll want them lit, of course. Because uh, that's what they're selling, but it's I may have a 10 second exposure for the shot, but the lights are only on for you know half a second. Yes, they're just flipped on and off right. just to give that bulb illumination, but not yeah. to mess with the walls, like you say, or the the ceilings, or you know, casting shadows from the structure of the light fixture and all that kind of stuff. And you know what? I just learned that. Oh. Uh, Mike Kelly's video, and I, <laughs> now I'm going to write it down because I already forgot it. You see, it just comes and goes so fast. Uh, I, that that's back from the film days is when I learned that. <laughs> <It's>, <laughs> you know, you uh, trying to get everything on a single sheet of film, right? Um, with multiple exposures for with filter packs for different light sources, and 
different intensities and I don't miss that at all. So, yeah. So that that's I can't imagine how they did it in the days where you all you have is a Polaroid to look at. Um yeah, we just didn't do it very fast. So mm-hmm. <laughs> um a shot takes, you know, two hours if, right. if we're gonna do a shot. And and then you'd have those hard costs for Polaroid and film and, and processing mm-hmm. um that go in along with it. So and the nice thing was, is that all you had to do was drop it off to the lab and then pick it up the next morning <laughs> right, <laughs> and right. give, give the client the, the correct exposure. So, um, yeah, it's different. So you, it sounds like you do your own processing now. Yeah. I, you know what? I, I can't give it up. I just, um, maybe if I could hire somebody who, who did it the way I wanted it done or instructed, mm. um, I just feel like that's really where it all comes together. Um, and why my images look the way they do. Although I do send out for major retouch at times, you know, if they want something huge removed or Mm -hmm. I just started using, um, I'm looking at it here, Luminar. So Mm -hmm. sometimes, you know, that helps to add a sky if I need it. Um, But again, I'm always really careful because I want it to look real. I don't want um, things so over-processed that, it takes the soul out of what you're shooting. And I don't mean to sound uh, esoteric in that way, but for me, that's what the difference is in the aesthetic that I like. You know, I want it to look real and I don't like every imperfection taken out. And it's a fine line because, you know, the architect selling his architecture or the floor guy selling the floors and the patina's a, you know, a little off or, or the color, you know, on this window is a little different than that window, but that's how it looked. Mm-hmm. So, and that's how it would look if you were in the room. So it's right. a fine line between over polishing, in my opinion. I think you're right. And uh, well, I know you're right. And I, I appreciate you bringing that up because that's, that's something I think that's really difficult for us as photographers uh, to navigate is how much, how much we do to an image. Uh, you know, in, in an effort to please the client and, and, but also at the same time, trying to have some integrity in the, just the, the fact that what the, what the, uh, the space actually looks like. Right. Um, I've got some clients who expect to have all the light switches, all the outlets, all the, you know, the, uh, fire alarms, everything taken out, all the exit signs, um, and I do send that kind of work out because that's just tedium. And um, I, I understand that in major retouching, but I'm like you, I, I like to process my own because I think, I, I think it harkens back to, uh, you know, the, the, the whole darkroom aesthetic and the fact mm-hmm. that the same negative can look vastly different yeah. in the hands of, you know, different photographers. Right. So. Uh, and I, I guess in the, in the end, what we're selling is is our own aesthetic of things. And sure. as digital image makers, it's not just how you take a picture anymore. It's also how you edit it, you know? Exactly. Yeah, that that is such an important point. Thank you. Uh, one of the thing I, things I think that's hard uh, for people to understand who are not in the business is the fact that the, the equipment we use is pretty insignificant in, in you know, the end result 
not not totally insignificant, but you can get uh, a photograph that looks like a Karen Davis photograph with a lot of different kinds of cameras and lenses. It, mm-hmm. The person behind that camera who makes that photograph look the way it does. And so, yeah, uh, I, I think that the one thing that you either have or you don't, I don't think it can be taught is composition. You know, you, you either have it or you don't, and that's the difference. And then you, you can develop the aesthetic because I've seen how my eye has changed, but technical can be taught. I don't think composition can necessarily be taught. It can be to a degree, like I was talking about tangents, you know, move this, Mm -hmm. move that, but the initial, when you, I find when I take a series of photographs, the first one is usually the best because it, it was my first instinct. I walked in and I went, oh, there it is. You That's know, interesting. Yeah. Yeah. I, I would agree with that as far as my work goes. Um, it's the way you see things personally yeah. that, they're, that your client is paying for. And um, that's interesting uh, that you'd mentioned that, that that's something that can't be taught. Um, I used to try to teach the architecture workshops in Santa Fe. <laughs> oh. And uh, that was the hardest thing for me is I could tell them all the nuts and bolts of it. But I couldn't. I couldn't in any way communicate where to stand and where to put the camera and what lens to put on it and, and how to frame it. Right. There, there weren't any parameters for teaching that. If you didn't see it, you just didn't see it. So. Yeah. That's, that's interesting. And I'm always looking too. I, I, you know, even when I travel, sometimes I don't, I'm not always, I'm looking with my eyes. I want to experience. So sometimes the camera stays in the bag. Um, I, and I'm looking at the light and the shapes and the contrast and all the time, everywhere I go. It's, it's, it's just what I do. Um, I th- don't you think that informs the way you make photographs later on, though? The fact yeah. that you're aware of all those elements? Yeah. And you have to enjoy too you know you have to experience you can't just live your life behind the camera <laughs> do you do you take a camera uh, when you go on vacation for leisure purposes or yeah i'm going to spain okay uh, very soon and i'm definitely taking my camera okay um especially when i go to barcelona <laughs> oh, well, yeah <laughs> absolutely um, let's talk, we, we touched on this just briefly, but, um, l- well, let me give you some background first. When I first started in this business, um, in the 1980s, uh, the top photographers in the country, uh, architectural photographers, um, were women, not all, you know, but, but they were a very high percentage. Um, there were some, and there were some women that I just really looked up to as far as, the way they shot and technically it, their work was just absolutely amazing. When film kind of died out, um, that ratio in the market changed pretty dramatically. And I'm, I'm not really sure what happened there. I don't know if these ladies didn't transition into digital or, or what happened there. Um, but now, uh, you know, people like yourself are kind of in the minority as far as 
architectural photography goes. Now, that's that's not the case in other areas of photography by any means. I would say in the market, and I and I know from uh, the Photo Marketing Association statistics from last year that women dominate the professional photography market. So um, uh, that that's a given. But um, in our particular discipline, uh, I find it interesting that the things have kind of got upside down from where they they used to be. Um, you mentioned, um, you know, just kind of working relationships and things like that. But what are the what are some of the challenges that you face that you think might be unique, or are there any? Well, I definitely, I definitely think that we don't get paid as much. I mean, of course, I can say whatever I want for money, but I feel um, there's still a barrier there in what people are willing to pay a man versus a woman, you know, or what they think a woman's worth is in the same okay. field. And I know, no, this is just my opinion. I don't yeah. want to get too big. No, that's why we're here. Is for people you. getting, you know, upset with me and saying that's not true. Or whatever. Yeah, um, <laughs> and also I feel like I get asked to do things that I really don't think they would ask men to do. Like I had this client and I look back on my records. I have been soliciting him since 2014. Okay. You know, and finally he, he has um, a job, let's say, but mm. it's really just a carrot. In reality, mm. what he wants me to do, as it turned out, uh, was to drive um, an hour and a half each way to where he is, where he has um, a store set up and give my advice to him for free on the best way to photograph his project products, like technically and artistically. and maybe talk about and maybe talk about a job he has down the line oh boy which is the carrot to get me down there for free and i thought this is insane and i really don't think he would have asked a man hmm. to or expected that from a man or had had the gall yeah. so i i kind of hmm. said you know wow that sounds like you need a consultation hmm. and i told him the rate and i never even got the courtesy of a reply after talking to him on the phone and email, going back and forth for scheduling. And so that's someone I probably wouldn't work with going back to that conversation because it was just plain rude. You know, yeah. he could say thank you, but no thank you. So that kind of stuff um, where, where I know that people always think photographers, this, this drives me crazy. Oh, we'll give you photo credit. It's like, <laughs> yeah. what do you do? Give me money. I don't need the photo credit. So I kind of think that translates in my industry um, with women. Mm. But on the other hand, I did get a job because I was a woman, because the company um, felt that they wanted that aesthetic. And it was different yeah. than the male aesthetic they had been getting. So I don't know. But um it happened, it's happening really intensely in the film industry, too, where women directors before talkies were at the top of the heap. Right. And now they're not. Um, and only one woman director has won in the 100-year history, near 100-year history of the uh, Oscars. But uh, there's a great documentary out called um, I'm Spacing Out on it. It's uh, on Netflix right now about it. And it's just fascinating. And it, it, it's similar, you know, in a way to yeah. our industry. You know, you mentioned about um, about the aesthetic that 
that you could bring to the the job. And I'm just wondering, uh, in a situation, say, where you are working with interior designers, um, is it any different in that situation? Because uh, that's a, a, a female-dominated industry. I mean, is that is there any that, difference there? Um, you know, I find them to be very tough clients because um they're always um moving things around after everything's set up like there's <laughs> never the point where they stop and you're like okay i need to take a picture now this is what we agreed on and then they you take the picture you go through all your brackets and come in and they move something again and you have to start over um i just i find them not as um professional or as decisive in certain ways. I think that's an oversaturated field where um, they decide, oh, now that they finished doing whatever they did before, I'm going to become an interior designer. And mm. um, I, I feel like there's a little bit of a lack of professional. I hate to disparage, um, you know, or put down any industry like this, but that's just been my experience. So that's a tough question yeah. to answer. <laughs> Yeah, my my experience is similar, except with those that are at, at say at the top of the industry. Yes, of and, course. And then um, they seem to understand what it is I do, and they respect that. Right. Um, um, my wife, who's passed through this frame a couple times, <laughs> is my business partner and and travels with me as a set stylist. That's great. Um, and. Uh, she has a fairly high level of frustration <laughs> with, with that kind of thing because we'll get it set so that it's it's you know, ready for the camera, and you know a client off axis, thirty or forty degrees sees something and wants to change it uh, based on where they are, not where the camera is. So that's kind of interesting. But uh, I, I'm wondering um, too. One of the things that that I find that's a little difficult is is in working with construction companies and and really big firms um, where the marketing directors are typically always female mm-hmm. um, and they're typically in their 20s and 30s. And yes. for me, um, a photographer in his 60s, that's not always a good, uh, it's not an easy mix. And um, so, you know, my wife helps soften that situation quite a lot by being along with me. But um, do you do you run into any um, challenges, let's say, with the people who are coming into the, you know, into the architecture and engineering construction industry who are young? Yeah, uh, very young, inexperienced marketing directors. Yeah, I don't really understand how they got the job, but um, yeah, they're very inexperienced and it's really hard to work with them. And, um, you know, when you're on location and they're they're just on their phone. And so perhaps you didn't, this happened to me. I didn't get an angle that maybe um, had they been art directing as they should Mm -hmm. have been. And then later their boss is like, well, what about that angle? And I said, well, I set it up. I got this and she signed off on it. Yeah. But it still reflects on me in the end, I feel. So I, um, yeah. And I also, um, anybody that, and again, this goes back to my old school grammar. If you're going to start a sentence with, hey, Karen, you know, in your email, I just, 
I know already. And I also, I actually will go to LinkedIn to try and find their photograph. So I know what their age is and what I'm dealing with. And I can see their level of experience. And that informs me um, about how to talk, uh, how much, you know, I I know they're not going to really read what I'm writing. So how can I say it as succinctly as possible to cover my ass, let's say. So, you know, that's what I try to do. I also like, um, as I said, I like to read faces. You know, there was an art director I wanted to solicit recently, and she had this scowl <laughs> on LinkedIn. I thought, oh my gosh, she's probably never even going to read my email. <laughs> Why would you put a face like that on there? I don't know. But anyway, um, so that's what I do. I try to get as much information as possible. Um, and that's not to say that not all young people are sharp. Mm-hmm. I've seen um, this company, I can't remember their name, they're in Brooklyn, and they're their architecture is amazing. And they're probably late, you know, early, probably in their thirties. Okay. And their work's beautiful. So I think it's whoever it is really. Yeah. Yeah. I, I, you bring up an interesting point about kind of vetting the client ahead of time and, and doing a little bit of research on that. I think that's such an important thing. And I, I don't think many photographers do that. I mean, do a little bit of research. Um, I've only done it just in recent years and LinkedIn is, seems to be the go-to to find out about the client. And you can tell pretty quickly based on their website and the people that are mm-hmm. working for them, if it's going to be a good fit for you. Even yeah. when I'm, um, looking for companies to solicit, like mm-hmm. I was driving around recently and I saw an interior design student. I thought, oh, wow. So I looked them up online and I saw the pictures um, and I thought they're never going to hire me because they're just using iPhone photos. They don't care about yeah. anything better. They really wouldn't understand. And then if I told them my price, they would just think it was outrageous. So yeah. I do that as well. I look at websites and sometimes I don't bother. And interestingly enough, I find A lot of architects who have beautiful work often are posting blurry images on their website. And I don't really understand if their graphics person isn't making the translation well or what's going on there. But I I think that presents very unprofessional and I'm surprised they let that go. Yeah, I, I see that a lot as well. And I think what happens a lot of times is that they've got a person that's putting things together for them on the website who's viewing it on a laptop. Um, and then, you know, you look at it on your 27 inch monitor and it's all pixelated because and it it doesn't seem to matter what size file you give them. <laughs> right. They'll they'll use something that's uh, not proper resolution. And, and so there's a little bit of handholding there that sometimes has to take place, I think, to make it, bring it up. I mean, it's not been that long, really, that architects even were on board with having a website. Um, and, and construction companies are kind of still lagging behind on that. And, mm-hmm. and interior designers are probably less concerned. Um, is, is there one place that, um, you mentioned LinkedIn. Is that do you post much social media? Or is there one social media outlet you use more than another? I post on social media begrudgingly. <laughs> I really, okay. um, you know, it's a lot of work. 
Um, but I do do it and I post to um, LinkedIn uh, and Instagram mostly. Okay. I post Facebook um, through those through Instagram. Um, mm-hmm. I rarely even look at Facebook, truthfully. But um, I think Instagram is really important and LinkedIn is as well. Although LinkedIn now I think is changing because of what's going on with Facebook and it's becoming more like the bathroom wall and less professional from what I've been reading. So, but you have to do it. You have to have a social media presence. Um, And sometimes they want to see that over your website. Yeah. Especially if if it's someone younger. Yeah. um, thinking about hiring you they'll probably go there before they'll go to your website which is kind of fascinating but um i I agree with what you say do you do your own social media i do you know i i paid someone a lot of money once um two years ago and from what i've read if you're not constantly on instagram doing stories reels postings commentings etc all day your stuff is going to get buried. So all I can do is just put my best effort forward. I try to post two a week. I use Hootsuite. If yeah. people don't know about that, because you can post to more than one um, stream mm-hmm. uh, at a time, and it's free up to three, which is what I have. Yeah. Um, but yeah, and also because if I had to hire someone, I'd have to tell them my hashtags. You know, because sometimes I never know what I'm going to do. So I just posted Hillstead this morning. So I'm writing, you know, Colonial Revival, Historic Home, Claude Monet, because there's paintings of his in there, Canopy Bed, Red. You know, I'm trying to think really out of the box because Canopy Bed was red and not just the typical. And then visit, because they're a museum, you know, visit Connecticut, tourism, blah, blah, blah. So if I had to write all that down, I might as well do it myself. I might as well. Yeah. Yeah. yeah I, I agree. Um, I use Hootsuite as well. That is such a time saver to be yeah. able to uh, not only be able to do more than one account at a time, but be able to do a series of posts, um, mm-hmm. you know, two or three at a time uh, throughout the week. So that, that's a huge time saver. Uh, have you ever had employees or assistants? Do you use assistants? You know, I usually, I use assistance sometimes on location. Okay. Um, and I hire someone to do, I don't like marketing. So I hire someone to sit here and make the calls for okay. new business. And usually she's so good. Usually um, she gets a job for me out of it. Oh, okay. And sometimes I cold call, but I don't think it goes as well because I think it makes you look better if someone else is doing that for you, calling on your behalf. Um, but yeah. now she, um, unfortunately, she took a full-time job. No, <laughs> so I have to find someone else. But I'm happy to pay for it. I find it laborious, you know. Do people um, that, that just find you organically say, is it is it through your website, do you think, or is it? Through your books? It's usually through Google search. Okay. Yeah. And again, a um, your website and mm-hmm. once in a while, ASMP. Okay. Image licensing is the last thing that I wanted to cover mm-hmm. with you uh, before we wrap up here. And I just wondered, how do you handle um, your licensing? Do you allow uh, cost sharing uh, with licensing and things like that? What What's that I look do. like? I do. Um, 
and I'm a real stickler about this. This is it's really hard to navigate because, you know, I'm reading about a lot about the social media bit and trying to decide how I want to handle that because you do a shoot for one client, you know, like I did a shoot for a client who makes pillows, let's say, and then they share it with the fabric person, with the person who made the chair and blah, blah, blah. Sometimes it benefits you the more people see your stuff, but other times they're just getting free content and advertising off your back and you're getting nothing. Mm-hmm. So it, it, that aspect, I'm still trying to decide. Sometimes I grant the rights for that and sometimes I don't. I never grant third party without them paying me. Mm-hmm. But, you know, on that, I build into cost sharing and tack on a percentage of the entire mm-hmm. bill. Yeah. Um, I also subscribe to Pixie, which okay. if you're an ASMP member, you get a discount. And um, I have found so many images of mine being illegally used. And right now I have a suit that's happening um, because... Um, and gratefully, I, you know, I don't copyright everything, but my book's been copyrighted and they've been using images for my book. And it's so great because my book's copyrighted. <laughs> so, um, and I've, I've, that kind of stuff blows me out. I really don't like when people steal from me, so, but in you subscribe to Pixie, you're going to see your stuff everywhere. Yeah. Um, um we, and it's disturbing. Yeah. Um, AIP offers the same discount that ASMP does on that. Um, they offer that, I think, to most photography organizations. And so, um, and like you, um, I jumped into that and I've got 395 cases currently in process with Pixie. Wow. So, uh, but I will um, say, yeah, sorry. It, it's become a new income stream, basically. Yes, <laughs> yes. And I will say, though, about the licensing, you know, I, I, I've worked for smaller clients. Mm-hmm. Um, it's not like a usually the Sheridan or a, you know a big chain. Let's say they're they're local architects, and I don't like to nickel and dime them, and they don't like to be nickel and dime. So I usually grant them the rights in all media, uh-huh. um, and I usually hold back on magazines and books because I know that magazines pay stock photography, and I also. Mm-hmm don't want the magazine absorbing my image in their database and not knowing who photographed it and winding up everywhere, which I also find a lot. So that's the line that I usually draw. Um, I think that's an important point. And I think I hope people don't, don't just skip over that because that's such an important point that you made there. And it's one that gets missed by most photographers. Um, Yeah. And what happens with most magazines is that that metadata is stripped out uh, Yes. Um, any publication like that. And so once it's in their database, it's reassigned a new uh, file number and there's no association with the photographer after that point. So mm-hmm. it's gone forever <laughs> unless, unless Pixie goes after it, I guess. Right. <laughs> On average, do most of your jobs include some type of multi-party licensing or um, not always. Okay. Um, I'd say half and half. Okay. Yeah. And that it's always nice when you can do that. And do you bring that up to the client 
uh, up front when you make the quotation or when, when, how does well, that? Well, it's in that arise? contract under, um, you know, copyright and licensing. And it mm -hmm. says no third parties, blah, blah, blah. Without a license, you can always add this amount onto the bill. Okay. But this, this building I'm going to be shooting hopefully next week, there is an architect and interior designer attached to it. So I did mention that up front to them as a way to save some money on the whole thing. Mm -hmm. And this, you know, um, I'm shooting it for the company who had the building built. Okay. But I hope the architect likes the images because she lives around the corner and I've been wanting to work with her nice. for a while. <laughs> That's great. Well, I appreciate all the insights that you've given in such oh, a short thanks. amount of time. Um, for those who are going to be watching this later, I I would imagine they'll be taking notes because you've touched on so many important and valuable things that you just don't learn unless you're in this business. And That's true. You've been very generous in sharing those through this interview today. Oh, thanks. Um, I really I appreciate, appreciate it. you having me here. It's an honor, really. Well, it's been a pleasure speaking with you. We're uh, really honored to have you as a member of the AIAP, and uh, hopefully we'll speak again soon. Uh, okay, great. Thanks Thank again, Thank you so much, Alan. Take care. Bye-bye. This has been another episode of A Photographer's Life. If you've enjoyed this program, please let us know by liking this episode and subscribing to this channel. A Photographer's Life is brought to you by the Association of Independent Architectural Photographers. This episode is copyrighted, and may not be used in full or in part, without the written permission of the AIAP. Please join us again soon for another inside look at the world of professional architectural photography.